Today on Oxl FM, we continue our series of retrospect episodes, looking back at one of the most important and influential shooters for both the genre and esports alike with Counter-Strike. Hello and welcome to episode of Octo FM. I'm Zephyrin. And I'm Gelada. And we are back today with another retrospective episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy doing these, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, every one of them we've done so far, we've ended up, like, going down a rabbit hole of research. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes it's led to me wanting to talk about something else as well. Which yeah. is actually how this episode came about, right? Because right. we were doing some research for our Defining a Genre episode, mm-hmm. where we were talking about FPS, first-person yep. shooters. And one of the things that we didn't really touch on was this game, Counter-Strike, and all of its, like, versions of. And we're like, that's pretty criminal, because, like, Counter-Strike <laughs> is is really important within the gaming landscape, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's very much the defining game in a lot of ways for things like esports and competitive shooters in general, etc. So we thought, as much as we, like, we did a good job on the defining episode, I think Counter-Strike needed its own episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the most popular game on Steam, right? Yes, like, yeah. It's like literally the number one game, it, you know, within the number one, like, platform for gaming. Um, so yeah, not a small game, and has never been a small game. And we're going to talk through some of the background of Counter-Strike and work through, yeah, some of the some of the games. Not all of the games. When I was doing the research, there's like some weird Asian spin-offs of Counter-Strike. Yeah, which, I um, saw those as well, like... <laughs> zombie nexon yeah. go or something counter-strike online, online and yeah like that's like not that old but it's based off 1.6 and yeah all kinds of weird stuff very we're not, odd we're not we're gonna talk primarily about the mainline stuff otherwise we would be going on for a long time and also we don't know anything about those um whereas we have a lot of experience with counter-strike and mm. we'll actually talk about that as well talk about like a, a retrospective look of counter-strike as a franchise but also a retrospective look on our lives with counter-strike mm, yeah I absolutely guess. yeah 100 um, but yeah like sort of thinking about the where counter-strike started i just think it's really interesting counter-strike is one of those games that is relatively unique there aren't many of them and in that it started as a mod yes right? it started as a mod for the original half-life mm-hmm. um going all the way back to sort of like 1999 and, and 2000 and it's funny because Half-Life itself, right, is like a mo- modified <laughs> version of Quake. Like it's like mods yeah. on top of mods. Very like iterative, um, which is kind of a recurring theme with with a lot of Valve stuff and a lot of um, Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike but, especially, yeah. That, yeah. As and, I was doing the notes for this, I was like, they've not really made a, a new game, no. quote unquote, like since the very first one. There's probably lines, many, many lines of 1.6 in... <laughs> yeah. Go in 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 the latest version in Global Offensive. Uh, there's pr- yeah, there's bound to be like bits and pieces that are still there from the original. And a big reason that even the mod was even originally made was because Half Life's engine, the Gold SRC, mm. which was the like heavily modified version of Id Tech Two, was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Came with modding tools like right. ready to go out the, in the box. Which was quite unheard of at the time. I mean, I know you could mod Doom after a while. They made that open source. But, like, 
this still wasn't a particularly widespread thing and you know game programming outside of like a dedicated studio was kind of again not a thing at this point like you didn't have indie developers really mm. at this point did you right in fact if anything i suppose modding was the indie was. scene yeah it was um so as a result of it they were able the the, the original two creators oh, i'm going to butcher these names aren't i um min guzman lee and jess cliffy cliff i think is <laughs> how you say those they just had this wonderful set of tools to work from from the beginning like mm. they had an idea and they i assume they had like a small background in like, like computer programming or design mm. or something along those lines and they were like we could make a game out of this and then they did that's that's yeah. literally how counter-strike one of the most important video games of all time was created yeah and it's also interesting because obviously this is a long time ago this is before you know you've got no steam workshop there's no mm. you know centralized really there's no centralized places for mods there were a couple of sort of like i think like file planet yeah like that kind of sort of you know centralized stores of you know where you could download mods but a lot of a lot this of forums. was yeah a lot of a lot of this was word of mouth a lot of it was forums um you know and there was no way there was no centralized way of getting mods and getting updates you know the counter strike itself like the mod so to speak um you know they they released like incremental kind of like versions of it they were trying like loads of different things like i think there were like vehicles at one point mm. and there was a map where there was like a train that actually went through the map and all mm -hmm. of this kind of like stuff that just you wouldn't you know you wouldn't recognize as counter-strike you know but fundamentally the like five versus five you know combat was this there. was at the same time as a lot of other mods in the same engine were being made like for example yeah. the three the trifecta as it were was this tf2 or rather not tf2 tf2 tfc team fortress team yeah. fortress yeah and uh day of defeat yes those are sort of the, the, the trifecta of half-life mod games mm. and they all use exactly the same tools to make quite different experiences right right exactly they'd sort of like have some similar feeling about them but otherwise the actual the game was quite different and again i don't want to go on too much of a tangent but interestingly valves like engines are kind of well known for this as well because as we'll see later on as well source was heavily done for this as well and source then spawned off like hundreds of mods so you know mm. i think most famously you had gary's mod yeah but then like source was also the reason for example things like portal was able to exist mm. but we'll yeah. get to that we, we, i think we get a little bit of ahead of ourselves there yes um but effectively what happened was they made this mod it was incredibly popular uh it was downloaded like you know tens of hundreds of thousands of times bearing in mind this is on like well, I think it was 2000, wasn't it? Like in 2000's internet. Yeah. Um, and rather than shutting it down or just ignoring it as like, oh, it's just some fans, they Valve went the other way around. And I think this is probably one of the earlier times where they actively hired the mm. modders uh, and they've gone on to done this quite a few times over the years now as a result of it again portal is a good example of that and yeah they, they hired the the two guys that made counter-strike and they bought the rights to counter-strike as well like, they took it seriously so i could have seen a, a company really easily going well it's just a mod so you don't own anything mm. to it at all like it's our game engine so it's ours but no they they outright purchased the rights to counter-strike they saw how popular it was they brought them on board and they moved from the beta which was basically the game we know but very rough around the edges and also required you to mod a copy of half-life and they made the first set of like full release counter-strike game right yeah and the standalone game came out at the end of like the sort of full first full release came out at the end of 2000 mm -hmm. and this is before the, the, we'll, and we'll sort of come on to this a little bit later on but this is kind of 
before steam but like we're sort of like valve are starting to think about steam because it was published by sierra as was half-life and, mm. and and you know the earlier valve game like early valve games were published by sierra and valve and sierra didn't really have like the greatest relationship like no. they definitely took each other to court at least twice <laughs> um and you know so i think that sort of started to sp- spawn valve thinking about steam and also you know we've already talked about how difficult in some ways it was to like manage mods right in the sense of like updates and you know where do you go to download it and things like that and you know this was a big problem for a very successful multiplayer game like counter-strike you know you how do you do updates how do you keep ahead of cheaters and things like this and so that sort of comes in a little bit later but initially it was just like a standalone game published in a kind of traditional way i mean it even had eventually an xbox release which yeah is crazy to me because like i don't think of counter-strike as anything but a pc based or yeah. like a, a desktop based experience yeah and it's interesting because that xbox release would later be you like that would sort of be repackaged if you like for condition zero which was mm-hmm. after the, the the first game but yeah like they took the they took the mods they turned it into a standalone game and this was where really the competitive scene sort of started you know it was it was one of the earliest esports it was very popular and even in those early days you know you had decent prize pools right you had Mm. you had decent amounts of money for for counter-strike it was it was very popular it was popular to watch there were lots of like fan videos on things like x-fire and stuff like that like the sort of you know like compilations of yeah like like, your your, uh your frag your frag movies yeah exactly exactly like that sort of a lot of that came from counter-strike or was counter-strike right and not only was it one of the first esports but it was also very much intertwined with the growing culture of LAN culture at the time. Mm. Like, LANs have been around for many years prior to this, obviously. I'm not saying mm. Counter-Strike invented the LAN, obviously. But it was a big shifting game within mm. LAN culture. Like, Because before then, you would play Doom and Quake. Right. I mean, hell, we still have QuakeCon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas CS came along, and now this was the go-to game. Like, I remember the first uh, LAN event we went to, Mm. And I think it was like everybody was playing Counter Strike. Yeah, <laughs> every PC that you walk past was playing Counter Strike. Right. And I was I was looking up the Wikipedia article for Counter Strike just to get some information on this episode. And there's a picture of like um, them playing at some big tournament where it's like quite a big prize for like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something, which mm. is for, for two thousand and one was crazy, right? Mm. And it's just such a classic image of like lots of people huddled around these monsters. Like nowadays, when we think of esports, we think of like you know the grand stage where like there's mm. all these spectators watching and they're all got these like really nice rigs with this great backing stuff, big comfy chairs. No, they're on like awful chairs that you'd have seen in like a 1950s village hall or yeah. huddled around these like cream colored crt monitors yeah massive monitors random Everything people is cream. walking behind them where they could talk at any point to each other like oh he's over here sort of thing you know yeah it's crazy how like different things are now in such a relatively short space of time of what like 20 years yeah exactly but, i mean i i, I was starting to go down a rabbit hole there as well and i think that's a whole episode in itself like i think there is an episode there for land culture and like the history mm. of lands as a thing mm. but Counter-Strike was here to stay at this point. Like, yeah. it was not a game that you could find anywhere else. Because up until this point, there were two types of FPS, really, I would say. There was the Quakes, the Dooms, the, mm. the quite fast-paced, quite heavy shooters, you know. Mm. But then there was also, there were tactical games. I'm thinking things like the early Rainbow Six games. Right. Like the Tom Clancy-style games. where mm. And I think SWAT was that one as well. Mm. And 
they had more in common with Counter-Strike, but they were still, they were very slow. They mm. were like bordering on like training level of realism for like an mm. actual police officer, for example, as opposed mm. to an actual game. Right. Counter-Strike really hit a nice middle point where it was still quite fast paced and fun to play, but death meant something. You couldn't just mm. immediately respawn and keep going. Like it was a, mm. it was tactical rather than yeah. just simply a run and gun. Yeah. It's not a death match, right? No, exactly. Although, Although you can play were, those modes. Yeah. yeah. There were sort of lots of, you know, it's funny, like Counter-Strike itself then obviously had mods and different maps and you had, you know, gun game came out of it and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the most interesting, one of the most interesting sort of like parts of the Counter-Strike timeline is when you had Counter-Strike one and eventually it was 1.6 right and yeah. that was then that's even now you say like 1.6 to like yeah. refer to the original counter-strike which is funny it's like a version number yeah. um, <laughs> and then you then had after the xbox uh port you then had counter-strike condition zero hmm. uh, which was meant to be i guess a sequel to counter-strike but it really suffered in development. It it took a very, very long time. You know, they were working on it from, you know, when Counter-Strike came out kind of thing. And it went, it passed hands so many times. Yes. Uh, it started with Rogue Entertainment, um, which is now most, I think most of the people that, who worked at Rogue Entertainment now then moved over to Nerve, uh, who help with, not Nerve as in Evangelion, Nerve as in, <laughs> I did think uh, that, as in a brain nerve. And, and they were, you know, they now do like first person shooter ports and assist with Call of Duty games and stuff like that. But yeah, they went defunct. Like I think the main guy left and so they sort of dropped everything. Then Gearbox got were given it to work on. Uh, yeah, which is kind of Borderlands. when I realized like the amount of quite high profile studios that ended up working on Condition Zero, I was really surprised. <laughs> well, it's like such early days, isn't it? These weren't necessarily high profile at the time. No. And then like Gearbox. I think ended up not like they gave up with Gearbox as well. I think they missed deadlines. And so Valve were like, screw you guys. Like you're not, you can't have it anymore. No. They gave it to Turtle Rock um, to do the multiplayer and kept and, and Ritual Entertainment to do the single player. Cause it was going to, the point of condition zero was that there was going to be this like single player as well. I think they wanted to try and capitalize on the market that I mentioned earlier with things like the Tom Clancy games. Right. Where right. they wanted that slightly more realistic shooter. Exactly. And this was around the same sort of time that I believe, like, was Medal of Honor around here? Possibly, I think it was, yeah. wasn't it? As they were, they were probably seeing a little bit of, like, like, a more realistic shooter coming into vogue. Yeah. So they wanted their own slice of that pie. Right. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, like so many, like this weird, like all these companies that have fallen away, like Ritual Entertainment has gone. Turtle Rock did actually do some CS modding back in the day and is now owned by Valve and made Left 4 Dead. Yes. Um, but yeah, like I think in the end they had a single player and a multiplayer and they gave out review copies and it got such bad reviews that Valve withdrew it and mm. were like, no, we're going to do this again. And they did the single player again mm. and they had another single player. So, and actually in the end game, you had a thing called deleted scenes mm -hmm. in Condition Zero, and that was like another single player. And that was the stuff that was recovered from the first round of single player missions. Yeah, it's a real mishmash. And, there, and, and it's, I mean, it shows when you, you know, when you played Condition Zero, it was a bit all over the place. Yeah, for game. sure. Because uh, what's interesting is that for me... Condition Zero was my my initial entry point, right? Because right. we started a little before Source came out. Yeah. And Condition Zero was, I think, the one that we played 
primarily because mm. it was slightly better looking as well. It had like slightly better improved graphics. Yeah, it was like improved graphics. It had bots, right? Yeah, which, which the original deal, didn't even deal. have. So, you know, that sort of lowers the barrier to entry because obviously Counter-Strike is very competitive. And at this point, people were very good at it. And so, you know, being able to practice against bots was quite useful. And yeah, it added like more weapons and more maps. Uh, and yeah, had two different single players. One was basically just multiplayer maps with bots. And I remember and- I played that so much. Really? Like, I remember very distinctly, like on my own, when like we weren't playing together, mm. I remember like I played through the tour of duty mode so yes. often, like yeah. thinking I was like getting a leg up or something. Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't make a plain bit of difference now in hindsight, because they're bots. <laughs> it's completely comparable. Yeah, and they were terrible. But oh, um, they were terrible, yeah. I remember. But Like, I remember playing through this version of the game so often. And then at the time, I remember reading, like, all the hate for it. Like, all of the Mm. 1.6 players saying, no, no, it's terrible. We don't play that. I'm like, why? It's really good. I'm like, looking back in hindsight, I understand now. Yeah. But it was a really weird game, effectively. Because, like like you say, it's had three to four different developers. Yeah. Effectively two games within one. Yeah. But it was still sort of 1.6, but sort of not. Um, Yeah. And no one liked it. (laughs) No one liked it. (laughs) Like, just think about the money and time and effort wasted because because also the other thing like you like you sort of hinted at just then is like it only came out seven months before source came out yeah (laughs) and they look so different you know like they came out because it was just delayed forever you know it was meant to come out three years earlier than it did basically yeah like in Um, 2001 sort of to capitalize on the success of the initial counter-strike and effectively it came out only seven months prior to source coming out which was running on a whole new engine yeah so, you know, it's unsurprising that the competitive scene stuck with 1.6, um, you know, when Condition Zero came out, it was just basically ignored from an esports point of view. Which is a shame in a sense, because it did look nicer to watch. And I remember <laughs> watching a 1.6 tournament at a LAN we went to once. I'm like, this looks like garbage. Why don't people yeah. play Condition Zero? Yeah. Uh, and well, yeah, now I know. Um, but yeah, let's yeah. move on to a sort of, I would say to me, the most influential Counter-Strike to me personally for, for us i think source was the most influential yeah. I, I think objectively it was probably 1.6 um, yes yeah but but yeah for us counter-strike source was was the most influential so this was at the end of 2004 yes. is it november yes around there again turtle rock worked on it uh and this ran on the source engine which was it's funny how the name of the engine was in the game and it's an interesting time because this is like half-life the source engine is also the half-life 2 engine yeah and the name of the engine was very like publicized you know like valve kind of were very public about the source engine it's, it was a product in its own right so, you yeah, know it's we've already touched upon how much there were mods for the source engine and and, and mods for half-life 2 and things and like mods that of mods. yeah and it's interesting like it was even in the name you know counter-strike 1.6 wasn't called counter-strike gold source you no. know it was it was counter-strike 1.6 and so, yeah, it ran on the Source engine, so it had that sort of updated you know, look and feel. But actually, it still used a lot of stuff from Condition Zero. Like, mm-hmm. all the bots were just Condition Zero bots. And looking back now, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I can remember that the bots were, you know, looked and played exactly the same as Condition yes. Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very robotic movements, I remember. And they also kept, like, the the netcode from Condition Zero as well. And so, it's, as you said earlier, like, very iterative developments, you mm. know. And, and when you look at it and you look back over these, you know, it's not a huge period of time, you know, a few years. And they're sort of, they are very, like, iterative as games. It's probably why people still stuck with 1.6. Yes. You yeah. know, like, I really liked Source and we played a lot of Source, but actually the community really like split 
on on Source, and you know, Source was very popular, but also 1.6 was still very popular. Yeah, a lot of people would like actively mod Source to make it look like 1.6, but still play <laughs> on Source. So uh, to play with other people still, and I guess for us as a younger generation of players who were playing it at the time, we probably liked Source primarily because it just looked nicer, right? Yeah, like, and it does look a lot nicer. You can't argue that. But like Condition Zero was a nice upgrade. But Source just looks infinitely better. Yeah. And so that was probably a big part of it. But there were some small differences to it. There was some new weapons and maps mm. and equipments and stuff that was added in. But there was also more easy-to-access modes. Mm. So, for example, like, although these all existed initially, they were far more ubiquitous within the sort of server browser. Things like Arms Race and Gun Game, I remember mm. being very popular. Yeah. Um, and there were like horde modes for like zombie mode and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and this was almost like a precursor to things like all of the Gary's mod style mm. mods you could then play yeah. uh, within Counter-Strike. So th- it's amazing how interconnected all of these experiences are. Mm. Yeah. But Source still did incredibly well and it was around for quite a long time. But one of those sort of jokes between you and I uh, is how, for me, Source is still the current uh, CS. Right. And yeah. every time I think about, like, Global Offensive, which is, like, the most recent version, I'm like, oh, that's really new. That only came out, like, last year. I'm like, it came out in 2012. I'm like, yeah. what? And that doesn't make it's, any it's sense years to me. Old. Yeah, <laughs> it's Source crazy is a lot to me. Old. Source is what? nearly 20 years old right <laughs> to me <laughs> like source feels reasonably new still yeah and yeah, i was looking at footage of it and i'm like yeah it looks great <laughs> it's like it doesn't even look that bad yeah like so there was a big gap right between counter-strike source and and counter-strike global offensive and valve continued to update source you know in terms of fixing bugs and balancing things and tweaking things and tweaking maps and so on you know that that's sort of what valve do i guess it's kind of you know iteratively you know continue Mm. to support games for a long time and source was supported for the entire time up until well and still is i guess in some ways but up to global offensive which Mm. again was another iteration you know it's still ran on the source engine but it was an updated engine but this was actually a recreation of counter-strike right this is kind of a rebuild from the ground yeah this up. wasn't like a, a fresh skin uh yeah. it was effectively a new game yeah but the same game experience yeah and this was now no longer turtle rock although they are still a valve subsidiary but this was hidden path entertainment so yep. they made defense grid yeah like, which is, i think is so interesting i was looking up their wikipedia article hmm. for like what else they'd make because i didn't recognize the name at first and i was like their first game was defense grid awakening which is like one of my favorite td games <laughs> which i just think is such a weird little small world of coincidence yeah but i mean again it's it's just so interesting seeing these relative at the time especially unknown developers taking on this like very big hmm. and important game yeah I guess that's often been Valve's way, you know, working closely with another development team mm. to make a game, you know, and to work on their IP. You know, it's not that I'm sure it's not that Valve are just handing it over and they're like, here you go, go and make a Counter-Strike game. You know, it's going to be very much co-created. And Global Offensive was made with the idea of trying to make it more accessible to a wider yes. audience of people, because specifically they wanted to try and capitalize on the console market mm. as an Xbox 360 and a PlayStation 3 version of the game is available. Mm. Now, it's not been updated in a long time. And it, it almost bears no resemblance to the current version of Global Offensive now. But at the time of its creation and release back in 2012 into 2013, that was sort of the main thing that they were trying to aim for because yeah. they already had the PC game market, right? Like right. people were still playing 1.6 for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah. Um, They didn't need to worry about the PC market. So they tried to make a more 
gamified, I suppose, more traditional game experience of Counter-Strike for the console market. And although I'd say that's fallen by the wayside in the past few years where it's very much still a PC experience or a desktop experience rather, you can still feel that more modern feeling to it Mm. in that the game has a much busier but also a much more featureful UI. Like the original three games that we've already talked about here, the UI is like incredibly bare basic. Like it's like size 12 font. It's basically the original Half-Life UI. Yeah, Still, and it hasn't right. changed almost at all. And it's not bad by any means. If anything, it's very pure, very easy, mm. very simplified, but it isn't pretty. And it no. can be a little bit intimidating for like a, a new player to, to approach. Right. And that's all changed. Like Global Offensive is, is much more like a Call of Duty game or a Halo game or right. something like that. Like a much kind of more pretty and aesthetically pleasing UI. Yeah. I would say that Global Offensive is the first game that has like shaken off being a Half-Life mod. Mod, yeah, for sure. Because effectively that's what the previous games built upon and looked like still. But then once you had once you had Global Offensive, now you've got quick play and matchmaking and you know and you started to see, you know, as Global Offensive has been iterated upon in the last ten years, it's Mm. difficult now for me to remember what is current global offensive and what is 10 years ago Mm. but you know things like skins and cosmetics you know starting to come in there's a lot of like negativity quite rightly so around like the sort of shady stuff around loot boxes and things like that like a lot of that stuff is from global offensive i think in recent years they've really tried to tone that down a bit Mm. but i remember like in 2015 or so it was a real problematic issue with both loot boxes, but also like the, it was when the Steam marketplace was still reasonably mm. young and it was rife with abuse. Like there was a lot of gray market stuff as yeah, well. Yeah. Well, like, you know, like it was outside all of Steam. Site. It yeah. was all off of Valve's platform. Yeah. And you could do like auctions and stuff like that mm. and like gambling for things like skins of like knives and guns yeah. and stuff. And yeah, it was. It was a really interesting sort of like economy that sprang up around it, but it was worth a lot of money and would scam people out of a lot of money, unfortunately, as well. And it's really interesting. I'm glad that you put this on the notes and not me. Like, there's a lot of stuff at the moment about crypto and and, um, non-fungible tokens, NFTs. And as gamers, we've had that kind of concept for a long time because Mm. that's kind of what this was. You know, there was some, some skins would be like limited release, you know, and if you owned it on your account, you know, that was worth something and your account was worth something and you couldn't get more of them. You know, they were like limited, limited copies of skins, you know, maybe it's skins that are given out at tournament events or skins that are given out for winning something or skins that were made by a team. You know, that's the thing as well, like where you've got like a release from like your favorite esports team. Yeah, we kind of have had the concept of like digital assets in in things like Counter-Strike for a long time. And there's another episode there because there's a lot of controversy at the moment about things like Ubisoft saying that they're going to bring NFTs into games and people are kind of you know, there's a lot of backlash about it. And I'm like, uh, guys, we've kind of had this the whole time. Yeah, it's, 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 it's <laughs> like a very it's, complicated discussion because in a way we've had this for a long time, but then a lot yeah. of people would say like, oh, we haven't because it's not been on the blockchain. It's all been, yeah, but, you know, centrally yeah. controlled by Valve directly. I'm like, yeah. 
but it is anyway. It's, still it's, kind of it's is a anywhere, central right? game. It makes yeah. No yeah, it makes no so difference whatsoever. That the, it's, on the it, it's it's one of those minefield topics right now, which yeah. a lot of people feel very uh, strongly about because they've got a lot of money invested into it. Yeah, um, usually. That's and unfortunately, fine. this did happen to, to, to Global Offensive, like you know, six, seven years ago now, mm. um, where that was happening. It, like I say, it's a lot less prominent now. Thankfully, uh, it still is a thing, unfortunately. Um, mm. But the marketplace on like Valve itself is much better it's much more yeah. robust and it's much more open to it. allow people to do things in those sort of legitimately so to speak yeah exactly and count and global offensive is free to play right so that's mm. what you you're gonna have this kind of like marketplace sort of situation but another thing about global offensive which was brought in sort of the modern era of gaming i suppose was having everything kind of built in no longer did you have to rely on servers doing all the work. Well, I suppose you still did, but it was yeah. built into the game's like approach to playing in the first place. It's interesting as well because it has both, right? Like you can still go, you can still use dedicated servers. You could there's a server browser, you know. So it blended the two, and it allowed you know the hardcore people with their own dedicated servers, you know, clans or groups or whatever, to have those, and you can also just play it. Right. And so it sort of freed it up from that world, which is probably why it finally meant that 1.6 was no longer really a thing. (laughs) Although I I love the fact that you've got the notes here that it still has 17,000 concurrent players a day. Yesterday, yesterday, at one point, 17,000 people were playing (laughs) 1.6. Crazy. (laughs) Who is still playing that game? That's mad. But yeah, I mean, Counter Strike Global Offensive is like millions of people a day. Yeah. Right. Or like hundreds of thousands of people a day are playing it at a peak you know like concurrent um so it's it's phenomenally popular um it is yeah it has finally put source zero and 1.6 at, at you know very much distant memories and we've, we sort of touched upon it earlier on in the episode but one thing that i don't think we've given enough really credence to is how influential counter-strike as a whole was to the esports scene now, because mm. we said about how it was influential, but not necessarily the creation of the LAN culture scene. But I would say this is probably one of the first real esports mm. uh, yeah. that, that made like big money as well. Like there were both sizable tournaments. Whereas to now, like it's, I, I think it's like one of the highest or like the second most highest viewed event on Twitch on a regular basis like behind things like league of legends for example yeah you know the prize pools for these are in the millions and then it's but it's also not just that individually but it's also gone on to inspire so many online competitive esports games like i'm thinking games like overwatch for example Mm. you know like that can trace its roots all the way back to counter-strike in a lot of ways you know yeah a hundred percent and in fact we're we're seeing a lot of that and you know it's worth talking about sort of you know you mentioned league of legends there I think what's really interesting is Counter Strike is is five v five, right? And and MOBAs like League of Legends are also five v five. You know, it's, that's very much a staple of competitive games. They tend to be teams of five, unless it's just one on one. And we're sort of seeing these genres blend into like games that are particularly well suited to esports. Um, so things like Valorant, mm. right, as well. And you mentioned Overwatch. You know, these games that are sort of kind of tactical shooters but also have a bit of a MOBA flair to them Mm. with things like skills and abilities and different heroes which you didn't have in Counter-Strike you know Counter-Strike was and it's funny because when you go back to the early beaters of Counter-Strike 
there was the concept of like a commander yes which was like yeah. a random member of the team that had like a different weapon and could set, use radio commands it's funny how that sort of like unique character idea was dropped very early on in counter-strike's development but is now kind of like its own style in in its own right you know with things like valorant and overwatch and this was also one of our earlier experiences with i use the word very lightly participating <laughs> in esports uh, because we when we were younger around the time of, of of condition zero and source we were part of a clan and actually the clan started from battlefield 2 which is also mm. around this time like 2000 mid 2005 um and that was where the, the clan started um but we played a lot of counter-strike source that was mm. that was like our main quickly became our main game mm-hmm. we actually had our own dedicated server right, mm-hmm. that we paid for uh that was like the clan dedicated server we had our own team speak server yeah no for um, sure you know and but that was really all sprung up around counter-strike source you know mm-hmm. there were companies that like we said earlier like before global offensive there was no quick match or quick play and they, the valve didn't run the servers you know they relied on people running servers mm-hmm. um for this game that other people would play which now sounds astounding that like you know like valve just didn't run servers themselves so yeah so you would rent servers from, yeah. from companies and we rented from a company called multiplay which also ran the lands that we used to go to yeah uh, they actually don't exist anymore uh they've like they got sold to game uh and the server side went to unity in the end and the event side is i think still probably owned by game but has been rebranded because i think i mean this is a little bit tangential but i believe game have like their own like pc cafe market yes they do sort of things now correct yeah uh, which is almost certainly part of the old multiplay the brand multiplay. and similar yeah. sort of people who work there and stuff like that uh, all that came from counter-strike for us yeah like obviously multiplayer ho- hosted servers for things like battlefield 2 as well and that kind of thing but counter-strike was really the driving force behind this entire ecosystem right of like events and servers and you know all of this kind of stuff we actually entered a tournament a counter-strike tournament at one of the um, multi-place lands we got completely thrashed <laughs> yeah we did immediately <laughs> Uh, Wait, because w- wasn't that the one that we got put against Team Cooler Master? Oh, I don't know, but I, it, I can't remember. It's so long ago. <laughs> Probably we, we were. It was we were we were rude. We were like and it was spotty fourteen-year-olds that didn't really like. We we played. We thought we played well, but we didn't. Um, but we didn't because we only ever played online casual, like on our own server, <laughs> like with just randoms online. So we thought we were good, but we were good against like people who weren't teams right which is like that's kind of that doesn't really count but yeah like it's it's very much like sort of intertwined with with that like we're you know we still have connections and 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 we're still friends with people from going all that all that Mm. way back to to playing counter-strike together i mean we mentioned this on our fps episode as well but like not just counter-strike but counter-strike was definitely part of it It was a big part of our friendship like growing Mm. up as as kids and sort of like you know hanging out and doing lands you know your like parents living room and stuff like that like that would be the one of the games that we would sit there for many hours playing at Mm. a time yeah so i just think that such a wonderfully small mod of a game made by two people has gone on to become such this juggernaut mm. within the industry. And I think it's, yeah. this is why we want to do a retrospective on it, honestly, because it's just such a fascinating mm. example of like this tiny thing growing into something a massive that's just affected almost every element of the gaming industry. The, the question is, is what do they do next? Right? Mm. Like after Global Offensive, you know, what, 
they must be that you know it's like like we said it's been 10 it doesn't feel like it but it's been 10 years since global offensive came out you yeah know, that's, a, that's a really really long time you know there are people playing games that weren't necessarily even born when global offensive came out no for sure it's kind of weird it's very weird to think how long this game series has been going on with very little changes in a lot of way like lots of quality of life improvements and lots Mm. of sort of like you know small additions here and there but effectively it's still the same game from 1.6 right Mm. and it'd be interesting to see what the next decision is because how do you reinvent something that's kind of been shined to a mirror sheen Mm. you know i don't know if you can i think you will have to just sort of do the same thing again but prettier maybe integrate like you know some other level of like integration into twitch maybe or something Mm. you know already it has quite a good community within sort of the streaming space but i can Mm. see maybe that becoming more of a thing yeah i I, I don't know it's it's interesting isn't it there's a question of like what do you how much do you need to make a new you know make a sequel like i i always find it i always found it interesting that blizzard are making overwatch 2 for example yes you know, yeah. still making um and when when it sort of feels like they didn't need to like overwatch was a platform and in some ways counter-strike global offensive is a platform you know and as a game it just exists mm. and there's a you know that that's all it is like you could release more content for it i guess you could do a new version like you say make it prettier but it's weird, isn't it? Because part of the reason why 1.6 was so popular was that it was a, it was competitive. It was an esport, and the how it looks doesn't really matter. No, right? I mean, you know, most like people chess turn is things off down game, to the minimum and, settings, don't they? Yeah. And, and you don't yeah. need like a prettier version of chess to, no. to, you know, because you're like, oh, well, what's next for chess? You know, it's like nothing <laughs> is next for chess. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's free to play, but it's, they still make money off it, plenty of money off it, I'm sure, from from all of the microtransactions and stuff for skins and things like that. So, you know, I don't know if there's a need to to reinvent it. Maybe we, it's the question of like, do you maybe release something alongside it, you know, mm. and you have a spin-off from Counter-Strike rather than actually saying, okay, this is the new Counter-Strike and we're getting rid of Global Offensive, the most popular game online, you know, <laughs> on our platform. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, normally with these sorts of episodes, we can have a fairly good crack at like what's next sort of thing, like mm. Octodam Hot Take. I just don't know what it will be because mm. I don't, like you say, it doesn't need to be anything necessarily, but I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like maybe we will see more uh, game mechanics on top of the tactical mm. 5v5. You know, that would probably be my very hesitant hot take is that we might see, like I said, like where you used to have a commander, you know, mm. maybe we'll see some kind of like additional mechanics added to Counter-Strike still within the kind of like tactical yeah, you know, sort of real life. Well, they've sort of not flirted really. with the idea a little bit already with things like is it Danger Zone? I think it's called. They're like right. battle royale mode, right? Yeah. So, so like, different I guess, modes it's, I guess they're like just going to continue to use Global Offensive as the platform and maybe mm. like just go from there, which I guess mm. makes sense because the fact that that has the the name recognition and the install base already. So maybe yeah, maybe in another ten years it'll still be Global Offensive. Maybe you could add more detail to. You could add more uh, stuff around the weapons, maybe. So maybe more customization. Yeah, uh, which obviously is a balancing challenge, but there might be something that you could do there as well. They already have, you know, custom loadouts and things like that, but you could maybe do a little bit more there as well. Yeah, don't know. Actually, don't know. Normally, I feel like we've got a good idea, but this yeah. time, this time, not so sure. I'm I'm really glad that we got to do this episode. Like, I mm. I was pushing for this for a while because. I just think the history of Counter-Strike is so interesting mm. and so influential. And 
I don't feel we've done it justice in some areas because we didn't play it enough at certain times of its life. Like, mm. we played its middle point more than anything else. Yeah. So we've got kind of a limited level of experience of sort of the early days, which I think are the most fascinating, but the most recent stuff as well. Mm. And so if we've missed anything out that you think we need to have talked about, like, you know, a particular event or a particular instance of... I don't know. Like for example, we didn't really talk about like the cheating elements, like all of mm. the all all of the Steam anti-cheat software yeah, and the that. DRMs and stuff like that. We didn't really touch on all that much, if I'm honest with you. So maybe we've missed something yeah. you think would have been interesting to talk about. Do let us know, get in contact, and uh, we could maybe do like a follow-up episode on another Counter-Strike episode. Maybe when they announce Universe mm. Offensive, um, mm. you know, maybe they will <laughs> we'll talk about it then. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like you say, like I, I sort of, we didn't get time, but I would be interested in talking a little bit more about the history of Steam as well, because yeah, that's absolutely. very intertwined with Counter-Strike, because that was kind of why they made Steam, to update to, to like be able to release updates to counter-strike and incorporate anti-cheat um so there's a lot of interesting stuff there as well you know it's very different to what steam is today um so yeah do let us know if any of this sounds interesting or if you have another idea of, of something we should talk about you can send us an email show at octal.fm or a tweet at octal.fm on twitter or facebook facebook.com forward slash octal.fm and, and please don't and challenge us. us to a game no, of CS. Don't challenge us to a I game of CS. You can't. You can no longer find us on our, <laughs> you know, hanging out on our Counter Strike Source Daddy. Uh, you know, that's long gone. Uh, I probably could remember. You know, at the time, could remember the IP address for it off by heart. Oh my Certainly, word. the port was something like twenty three oh six seven or something like that, or twenty two oh six seven. Yes, man, it's long time ago now. Uh, but enjoy time. playing Counter-Strike with the knowledge yes. of the fact that you're playing a game with a very rich legacy. Mm, um, but until the next time, I've been Sefran. And I've been Gelada. And catch us again for another Octal FM very soon.